Hey, it's Chaz Mostert here, and yes, I'm inside your speaker. I'm in here because I have a special message for you from Clayton in Melbourne. If you're a club, state, or national racer on the circuit or on the dirt in Speedway or rallying, you can now tap into the know-how of Walkinshaw Racing Services, and you don't need a supercar to get in the door. The same expertise that's won multiple Bathurst 1000s and V8 Supercar Championships is now available for you to call upon. From bonnet to bumper, WRS can help you with engines, design, paint, machining, fabrication, and so much more for all sorts of makes, models, and categories. Have a chat with Walkinshaw Racing Services and tell them what matters to you. Call now on 1300 WRacing or email services at walkinshawracing.com.au. A Motorsport Podcast Network production. Hello and welcome to the Castrol Motorsport News Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Van Leeuwen, and here's what's making news this week. Cam Waters and Shane Van Gisbergen split the wins as the Gen 3 Supercars era roared into life on the streets of Newcastle over the weekend. Van Gisbergen actually crossed the line first in both races, however, he and Brock Feeney were disqualified following a post-race protest for a driver cooling-related tech breach. That disqualification has been appealed by Triple Eight based on the team's belief that it had verbal approval from Head of Motorsport Adrian Burgess. The Super 2 wins in Newcastle went to Cooper Murray on Saturday and Zach Pest on Sunday, and we'll run through all the action from the weekend in just a moment. A Supercars Drivers Association has come to light. A four-man panel consisting of Shane Van Gisbergen, Chaz Mostert, Will Davison and Cam Waters is now in place to discuss matters with senior officials such as Race Director James Taylor and Driving Standards Advisor Craig Baird. And Boost Mobile has extended its relationship with Supercars as both the official telco and the naming rights backer of the Gold Coast 500 for another two years. That completes the reversal of Peter Adderton's claims midway through last year that he would pull out of Supercars altogether. Joining me this week to discuss all that and more as a teammate that I'm genuinely hoping doesn't want to do his talking on the track because I want him to do some talking right here, Stefan Bartholomew. Stefan, how are you this week? Hello, Andrew. What a weekend that was, hey? Thankfully, there's no censorship here, mate, so let's do some off-track talking. That is good news. Yep, let's get into it. Uh, As you mentioned, there was plenty to discuss out of Newcastle. It was a wild weekend, more off the track than on it, funnily enough, although we did see a thriller of a race on Sunday afternoon. Uh, Let's run through how things kind of shook out in a roughly chronological order. Uh, We saw the cars hit the track in official sessions for the first time on Friday with three 45-minute practices. There was a lot of positive noises in terms of how close the cars were. We'd seen the GM teams fitting the gurney flaps to the front of the wheel arches on Thursday, and there certainly seemed to be parity on the very specific test bed that is the Newcastle Street Circuit. Uh, Driver cooling was flagged as an issue, and we saw supercars respond by allowing teams to add additional shielding to the exhaust system. Little did we know what role driver cooling would play later or play a day later. Uh, on Saturday, we saw the closest shootout in history, I think. Is that right, Stefan? You're the sleuth man. I believe it was, yes. Oh, perfect. Uh, and um, generally, we saw great reliability. The race wasn't a classic, though, as the Triple Eight cars dominated. Then, Stefan, the news wind started blowing with the scent of a protest and the paddock turned into a feeding frenzy. Uh, as it turned out, TV footage of dry ice being shoveled into the driver's side door of the Triple Eight cars during the stops had led Tickford and WAU to protest the Red Bull cars. There was a hearing well into Saturday night, and on Sunday it was decided that the cars had to be kicked out of the race as it was a Division C breach, which traditionally means no tolerance and disqualification. 
The issue was a dry ice system that was installed as a helmet cooling fan system mounted on the driver's side of the cockpit. The system wasn't illegal, but the positioning was. Triple Eight seemed to think that it had verbal approval from Adrian Burgess for it, but he denied that in the hearing. Stefan, I'm completely sick of talking, so I'm going to throw straight (laughs) to you. Give me your thoughts on the outcome and how it all played out. Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of layers to it, obviously, and you've gone through a few of them there, but I think the first thing to point out is that this wasn't Triple Eight being tricky, having a fudge and trying to get away with it. Like tipping ice in at the pit stop was such a visible thing. They clearly thought they had permission. So I do feel for them to some extent on that. And I mean, also the context that Triple Eight designed the Gen 3 car for supercars is interesting too. Like they've been telling supercars where everything should go in the cars for the last two years. But once you actually get to the racetrack, that changes. So whether Burgess approved it or not is the only thing that matters here. And if he says he didn't and there's no written evidence that he did, the stewards just had no choice but to disqualify because you can't have grey with tech, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, look, I think that's that kind of sums it up. I mean, the decision, it was the only decision that could be made even if Triple Eight have potentially been sort of unfairly dealt these cards because – yeah, it just seems unlikely you'd do that unless you did actually think you could do it because there was no way to mm. refill that without, you know, there was going to be a TV camera there um, unless it was just completely blatantly being, you know, we'll do this so blatantly so no one can question its legality. But, yeah, that seems uh, – that definitely seems unlikely. Um, probably – I mean, they've appealed it. You would think that the argument's going to be that they had that approval, but – Without that written, I mean, I don't. Can you see any chance that an appeal is going to be successful unless they really know something that we don't? Yeah, I'm fascinated to see how it does play out from here. Like Triple Eight has been so strong on it publicly. Like they yeah. called the head of motorsport, Adrian Burgess, a liar, effectively, which yeah. is brave if you can't actually back that up with anything. So, mm-hmm. I mean, Jamie Winkup did tell us on Sunday that the stewards didn't have all the information at hand. So we'll see what they've got. I mean, it's worth noting that in these cases, you can only submit new evidence if it couldn't have reasonably been produced prior to the end of the original hearing. But in the end, like appeals are just, they're easy to launch. They're a good thing to show your sponsors and tell the world about at the time. But man, they are hard to win. Yeah, that's the thing. And that's what it actually feels like. It's about trying to maintain innocence as long as possible, not actually necessarily expecting the results to be overturned. We did see Adrian Burgess and Mark Dutton having a very long conversation on the Saturday evening uh, after the hearing. That seemed to be after the hearing concluded from what we could tell Mm. in the paddock there, Stefan. But, yeah, fascinating stuff. What I did find slightly odd um, was that, you know, so on the Saturday night the team moved the box where the dry ice goes to the passenger seat as per the GSD or whatever it's called now, states. Um, When we spoke to Jamie, when you and I spoke to Jamie on Sunday, he told us that it was much better to have it on that side anyway because, you know, because of the weight, the driver weight's already there. Like, I don't fully understand why they didn't just build the system that way in the first place, unless it was just about ease of access to it on the other side, given that everything's been shuffled around on the passenger side of the car with air spikes and all that sort of stuff in different positions. Like, it's it's kind of a tough one. I don't understand. Jamie talked about, oh, we, you know, we were sort of bogged down in doing stuff with building the cars and everything, but I don't really understand why it was there in the first place. Do you? Yeah, this is certainly an unexplained 
part of the story. So we'd only be guessing. And, and my thought on it was the same, that it's either it was just easier to plonk it there in the rush or they knew they were going to have to top it up in race and doing it on the right-hand side is a lot cleaner than the left because on the left you've got the spike guy in the front yeah. guard, the fueler in the back window, and then this flamethrower exhaust under the door basically. The so flamethrower, yep. Yeah, but it shouldn't go unsaid in this that the space between the driver's door and the driver is left vacant for safety reasons. Mm-hmm. That's yep. why they're not allowed to put a cool box there in the first place. So that's, yep. uh, that's a pretty important part of the story. Absolutely. Uh, on Sunday, we saw a few interesting things go down. The first was a, um, a proper crash for a Gen 3 car for the first time when James Courtney hit the wall in the shootout. Uh, Tickford tried to repair the car for the race and prepped a new front clip but couldn't get it to line up with the central part of the chassis. We might talk about that a little bit later in the pod. And uh, and after that Saturday disqualification, Shane Van Gisbergen hit back on Sunday in the race with a stunning drive to win a thriller against Chaz Mostert. Uh, Van Gisbergen ran Mostert down before hip and shouldering his way through. Uh, just quickly, Stefan, thoughts on the bump and run? Happy with play on for that one? Yeah, I think that was the right call. When there's front to rear contact and the car behind gets the position, it's always going to raise eyebrows. But as Craig Baird has um, pointed out, you know, the contact was from Chaz moving to the right before the corner and Shane already having his nose up there. So it wasn't the traditional bump and run at the apex kind of situation. Like it did still feel a little marginal to me, but I do think they've got to let that stuff go. Otherwise, no one will ever pass anyone. And and Chaz was pretty relaxed about it afterwards, wasn't he? Like no doubt he knew knew he was done really in that situation where he was with tyres. So Shane was going to get him. It was a matter of where and and when. And also like the fact Chaz gave Shane a serve down at the hairpin felt like it kind of evened it out, didn't it? That's the thing. I think that might have that not that wasn't necessarily the smartest move if he was if he was going to try and play for a penalty. Uh, I don't think Shane would have done the same thing. I think he would have somehow been thinking about you know how can I make this try and look like a penalty as much as possible. But I don't think five seconds would have made a big difference. If you got a five second time penalty, I can't remember what I think the margin was just under five seconds. But if Shane had needed it to be five seconds, it would have been. He obviously had the pace. Yeah. Um. So I don't think it would have made. Too big a difference. And then after the race, we had this bizarre situation where SVG reeled off this curious line about letting his talking take place on the track on the in the TV interview, which he then repeated to the first few questions he faced in the press conference, which we were in, Stefan, uh, to the understandable chagrin of MC Chad Nalon. Giz did eventually open up and explain that he'd been bitten on the ass by being honest about the new cars earlier in the weekend. He had called for better heat shielding on Friday and then on Saturday suggested the cars weren't overly raceable as they moved around a lot and overheated the tyres. Anyway, within minutes of the presser ending, the very first clip of the presser was being shown on the broadcast and Giz was being attacked by Mark Scaife, uh, Garth Tander and Jess Yates for his unwillingness to uh, speak to the press. Um, Now, that alone is... Fair enough, but it was all done under the the guise of Giz being salty about the disqualification from Saturday, and that just very clearly wasn't the case. In fact, it was quite manipulative how it was rolled out, and some of the reporting that followed using the TV quotes was, frankly, like fucking embarrassing, um, particularly when people had been in the presser and knew the context of what Shane was talking about. Now, Shane isn't perfect with the press. It's not his comfort zone, but in this case, he, was, he wasn't um, – he was protesting not having the freedom to criticise the cars, and that's an ab- admirable cause. Like Shane is ridiculously honest, and the position he had clearly been put in was terrible. Uh, and for that to then be misrepresented on TV was even worse. Um, I do hope and assume that the context 
hadn't been provided to the host and that's where the confusion has come about. Um, Mark, Garth and Jess are all experienced enough that I wouldn't assume they would purposely be that misleading, although Mark did reference on TV that he'd been texting David Reynolds to offer feedback on what he considered were unhelpful comments re-parody the other week. So I think a role in all this has clearly been played by him. Um, Stefan, you can probably tell that, yeah, I, this sort of got me a bit fired up and we spoke about it at great length and in great detail on Sunday evening and I know you thought Shane was being pretty hard done by here as well. Yeah, absolutely. And for me, there's there's two parts to this that are quite separate. So firstly, censoring the drivers is not okay. It's gone yep. on forever with various topics to differing degrees and it's just not right and not good enough. Those in power can try and educate the drivers and also educate the media for that matter about the whys and why nots of how things are, but outright censorship is out of order. Shane is someone who refuses to play the game on that side of it, as you know. It's just not in his nature to be a politician, and he decided to make a real point there on Sunday. So good on him for that, and it was great that Reynolds was there and played his part too in that press conference to underline the context behind it. It's, it is unfortunate that the TV ran the narrative that it was just Shane being rude. Yep. But this is where the other part comes in, the fact that over the years, Shane's demeanour out of the car has rubbed some people the wrong way and I know he's been very good to both of us over a long period so I'm not including us in this at all but there are people in the industry particularly in TV who feel he doesn't show enough respect for the job they have to do and unfortunately I think that contributed to why there was a totally unfair pile on there on Sunday and I just hope that this incident and Shane now being open with getting his point across helps the industry in general be more understanding of different personalities among the driver group. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's um, that's very well summed up. And you're right, like I fully take the point, as I've mentioned, you know, we know that that, that Shane isn't perfect when it comes to the media, but um, we can't have the sport responding to these things in this way and then wondering where all of the personalities have gone. Um, and um, I, I made the same point about how critical it was that Reynolds was in that presser in a separate conversation I was having because I couldn't agree with you more there. That was very important to properly understand what Shane was doing. Um, yeah, but just a just a messy situation, yeah, not fun. I think it's important also to point out that part of the reason Shane has been frustrated with Gen 3 is that he wasn't allowed to be involved in the testing. Like supercars didn't want to appear to be giving any of the current drivers a leg up, which I understand because they're sort of damned if they do, damned if they don't here. But when you actually look at it, they needed to have the star drivers involved more to bring them on the journey with this car because if they're not involved in the development, then they they don't have any ownership of the final product. So in this instance, some drivers feel like they've inherited a shitbox and then they've been told the more they hate it, the better the racing will be but then they have to say good things about the car to the press. So, yeah, all of that is is really rough, and especially on Shane. Like, his own team designed the car, and initially he couldn't even fit in it. Like, yeah. that's still just bizarre. Absolutely. Well, look, let's have a chat about Gen 3 and our early thoughts. Now we have some runs on the board. Um, firstly, with parity, I mean, it all looked very good on the weekend. The margins were incredibly close, which we covered off before. That's fantastic news. Uh, Barry Ryan told you and me, Stefan, on Sunday night that the parity topic should be put for put to bed for a few rounds. For me, I still want to see how the AGP rolls out, to be honest, just given the fast-flowing, significantly more aero-dependent nature of Albert Park. What do you reckon? Is that about right? Do we need to see more there before we can jump to too many conclusions? 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's just it's just a hard one. Like the results look good on the weekend, but the important stuff is the data we don't see. Like regardless yep. of what track it is, if it's things like engine performance, there's there's the numbers that are that are important that we don't see. And and then as you point out, Albert Park is a lot more of an aero track than something like Newcastle. But parity wise, the funny thing for me from the weekend was. In the lead-up, both Ford and Supercars were selling the story that they'd been vindicated by this second VCAT that took place a week earlier. Like the Ford guys were pretty chirpy because there had been a change after the second VCAT that they'd pushed so hard to take place. And the Supercars guys were saying the change was so minuscule that it meant they'd been right all along. And then then you had Jamie chime in saying that a bit more front is going to actually help the Camaro Overall, which uh, was another beautiful piece of this uh, mosaic. But anyway, the good thing from a racing point of view was the amount of teams in the mix at the front. I mean, in the end, Erebus, Tickford, Groves, Triple Eight, they all either scored a pole or won a race. Yeah. And a WAU driver leads the championship. Yep. Yep. No, absolutely. What, so what about the actual racing product, though? Because that's obviously been like the cornerstone of what's been tried to achieved here with these new cars. Like, do you – you know, whether the drivers like driving them or not doesn't actually matter. Do you think we're on the right track with what we saw in terms of actually racing? Or is, again, Newcastle just too hard, too hard a circuit to try and make that judgment call on? Yeah, I guess one data point effectively is also too small a sample size to make the judgment. They look and sound great. There's no doubt about that. They've ticked those boxes. But, yeah, I mean, the racing quality has the arrow solved it. It's hard to take much out of a street circuit anyway. Yeah. Does it need a better tyre? We know that Dunlop is sort of waiting and seeing and looking at what it does at a few more tracks. Um, yeah, on the weekend, one race was a bit of a snoozer and the other one was a beauty. So, yeah, it's, it's all very hard. Like there is that feeling that collectively the pit lane has spent tens of millions of dollars and they've rolled out a product that is pretty damn similar to what we had before. But I, I'm, I mean, I, they could have been Gen 2 races exactly how both of them played out. I actually don't I, – you know, they, 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 the same result in the same way could have happened. Yeah, which which does speak to the point that a lot of money has been spent for not a lot of change, but there needed to be a new car. Like they couldn't go around yeah. with that previous platform any longer with the Mustang like it was and they needed to get the Camaro in. No. So, yeah, it needed to move forward. Whether everything's been done correctly, well, we know it hasn't, but – yeah, let's, uh, let's see how it goes in the next couple of rounds as to whether – because I do think Dunlop are probably the next port of call if something needs to be changed to improve the racing. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, as you mentioned, like the, they look and, the cars look and sound great. I think the sound in particular they've absolutely nailed um, with these things. Is there anything in particular that you do or don't like from our first impressions? No, I think they've been able to to keep all those elements that, that they need and – you know, they, they look pretty good going over the curbs and, and the cars were probably a little bit more robust than than we thought. I mean, yeah, all the expectation yep. was there was going to be this just a weekend of parity and uh, mechanical mayhem and really we didn't get too much of either, although there was a few mechanical bits and pieces going on in the background, but certainly nothing as pronounced as remember when Car of the Future rolled out mm. and from memory on the first lap of race one, the two cars that were on the front row were going to the pit lane with broken gearboxes. So we certainly didn't have yep. that level of trauma. 
We definitely didn't. There was a lot made about who the winners and losers from Gen 3 would be, and I guess we have a bit of a very, very early read on that now. Uh, in terms of winners, uh, obviously Erebus has shown that it's capable of getting itself right in the game, particularly as you expertly predicted, Stefan, <laughs> with the Brody Kostecki car. Uh, David Reynolds has clearly taken my prediction of his mental disintegration <laughs> to heart and is desperately trying to prove me wrong by driving really fast, which I'm kind of happy to be proven wrong. You've on, done him a honest. massive favour there. Um, yeah, I know. I know. I just helped boost him back up. You're welcome, Dave. And um, and Premier Racing, like uh, particularly on qualifying speed, like yeah, they had a really promising weekend. Like they do seem like a team that has taken this platform and perhaps made a pretty significant step with it. What did you make of their weekend? Yeah, it was great to see the Premier guys so quick and obviously they had some pit issues and things which hurt them on Saturday but they were right in the game and you know P4 for James Golding on Sunday was fantastic I think it's interesting that Premier was the only other Camaro team to actually have their cars fully built at Triple Eight you know the likes of Team AD and MSR have Triple Eight chassis but the car builds themselves were done independently by those teams so yeah maybe that vindicates Premier's extra spend on that part of the program I'm, I'm not sure yeah, for sure. Um, if we look at the losers from Gen 3 so far, I mean, the uh, the back end of the leaderboard is pretty clear. DJR is 10th in the team's championship after a disaster of a weekend. Not a single car in the top 10 in qualifying. All the races um, on both days, never looked in the game. Um, and for all the fuss made about SVG not speaking to the press, DJR is running a blanket no-talking-to-the-media policy, which is frankly ridiculous. And it was the same at the Sydney Test the other week as well. Um, so like, that's just, that's just nuts. It doesn't matter if you're going good or bad, just flat out telling journalists, nobody in this team is speaking about it and sending out press releases with one line quotes, not good enough. It's a strange approach. And when they won't talk to the media, we can only guess what's actually going on and why the results were as bad as they were. What guesses have you come up with, Stephen? It, we don't know the details, but it certainly appears that the setup philosophy that they went with didn't work. The cars just weren't in the right window, and there's lots of clever people in there, but it's a very different car to Gen 2, and they just weren't on top of it, which is really odd given that they were the Ford homologation team. Just eyeballing the cars, which is always dangerous, but you know, a few times over the weekend, they looked really low in the rear like lower than everyone else to the extent that I I thought the rear end of one of them had collapsed at some point. So that was interesting because with the Gen 2 cars, DJR often ran quite a high rake. So the rear was quite high in the air, which is something that at the moment with Gen 3, you can't actually do. They run out of rear droop. And uh, I think that is a little bit to do with supercars not wanting people running outside of how they, they can run them at the, at the aero test. But Yep. Also, I don't know if this is having an impact, but the other thing about the DJR cars is they're supposedly the heaviest in the field. I believe they're carrying less You're ballast right. than anyone to make the minimum weight. So, yeah, when all the cars were weighed at SMP to get that minimum weight figure, there was apparently a fair bit of variation between the Mustangs out there, both in overall weight and front axle weight, which is, again, that's that's a bit odd. Like They, they all race at pretty much the same weight because of uh, the minimum weight for the for the category, but we're talking about how much ballast you can run, which is obviously uh, better for COG. And Supercar still hasn't actually done the COG testing yet. They've only done yeah. it uh, in simulation. They haven't physically done it yet. So, And that, that'll happen soon. That's sort of the next little bit that's going on in the background that, uh, that they need to get under control. Maybe DJR accidentally put those old exhaust systems from the uh, 2019, 2018 <laughs> back, on the, uh, back on the cars. 
That could be it. Anyway, as I just referenced, uh, David Reynolds was among the drivers to enjoy a positive start to the season, had a third place on a Sunday, although heat issues on the Saturday left him in a pretty bad way. Uh, I grabbed him for a chat on Sunday evening about his Saturday nightmare and his Sunday revival. David Reynolds, um, yes. incredibly tough Saturday Very here. Tough. Just talk to us about, you've mentioned a couple of times like you were almost in tears. I think you were almost vomiting when you yes. got out of the car on Saturday. Yes. Just talk us through what it was actually like in the car. Um, it's really it's it's really hard to describe because it's like, have you ever been running as fast as you can where your body is convulsing that you can't, you can't like, you can't, you know, you, you still have to push on. You've got 50 laps to go and yet it's so hot that your body's just giving in and it's you're trying to throw up, you're trying to you're trying to drink water, you're trying to throw it back up. It's just it's a pain I can only describe as that. So, you know, it's just the hottest, most brutal feeling I've probably ever had in a race car in that in that middle stint yesterday. So forty laps forty laps in or fifty laps to go, however you want to look at it, I was in a world of hurt. How do you possibly get through that? How did you do it? Oh, I just try and breathe as, like like I was anaerobically breathing as hard as I can. Um, and you, I don't know, you just keep cruising around, like even though you're not very conscious, I don't think. You're conscious, but you're not, you're not on top of your game. So I was probably like half a second to a second slower than my actual real pace. So I bled a lot of time. The only way you can, you know, to drive the car flat out yesterday, it was a little, wasn't the nicest car to drive. So... You know, you have to be on top of it. You know, your stress, the stress goes up, your heart rate goes up, the heat of your body goes up, and there's nothing to cool you down. So, well, there was, but it just, you know, it wasn't the best system. So you can't get, you you can't get rid of the heat quick enough, and that's why it just it just implodes your brain, and then you start to think all these weird stuff, like what am I doing out here? I don't know what what am I thinking? Like you just you're not concentrating directly on your job, which you know I did today. There's a big contrast from yesterday to today, and you can see the result. <laughs> so what changes were made for today? You mentioned there was some more air. So did you have some more air coming onto your face? Did yes. Um, so they decided at the start of the weekend to duct it all to my feet because they thought my footwell would be hot. And um, and then they, you know, ducted it to me because I all I need is like a little bit of wind, a little bit yeah. of like wind to cool me down because when you sweat, obviously the wind, you know, evaporation yeah. cools you down. And it just makes you mentally feel better. Like you got something to, you know, cool your hand down. You know, it's just whatever it is just can get you through to the next lap, then to the next lap, then the next lap. And you can do that 80-odd times in your yeah. home. You guys use the same cooling system that Triple Eight uses. Yes. We saw them get into trouble yes. for their, their helmet fan cooling solution. Yes. It wasn't the solution that was the issue. It was the way they implemented it. Yes. Is that something that you might talk to your team about trying to do, a similar dry ice system or something to try and give you some helmet fan? Um, yes, definitely. Um, we can either persist with this chillout system, which is obviously lighter, and in the colder races, it's perfect. Yeah. Um, but in the hotter races, you, you, you have to have another system to chill your helmet air. So we need to think about, do we just run the dry system, like which has been proven everyone else knows about? Um, there's a slight weight penalty with that, which engineers don't really like that. Um, but we know it works. So, you know, we're just, we need to sit down and have these conversations because Gold Coast last year, they, they that was a chill-out system on the Saturday that, that nearly that destroyed me. And... Um, you know, now it's back in the car. 
pace-wise this weekend, you must actually be pretty happy. I mean, yeah. you guys were pretty strong, particularly today. Whatever yeah. changes you made ergonomically made a big difference. Yeah. Pole, podium, you yeah. must be pretty satisfied with it. I'm, I'm stoked with today. To have pole, first pole in the Gen 3 yeah. for Mustang, it's awesome. Um, you know, Chase put that lap down and I was sitting there watching that going, oh, Arkanel, <laughs> that's fast. You know, given the track conditions. And then when I actually crossed the line, it come up on my dash as like a, you know, 12.08 or something. I thought yeah. that was like second. And I was like, oh, shit, yeah. no good. And then they come on the radio like, yeah. And I was like, hey. <laughs> so you see my reaction quite like different in the car. It's yeah. quite funny. Yeah. But um, yeah, I'm just, you know, the, the race, I was just so stressed about 95 laps and, yeah. and getting them done and not not um, depleting myself, not getting too hot. But it was a much, much better job today. You start to make friends with these cars a little bit in terms of finding a bit of front end feel and getting yeah. used to how to brake the cars and how to, how to manage them. Yeah, definitely. Like, um, it's it getting better. Every time we, we go out on the track, we get better at it. Yeah. You know, we didn't have the pace of, of the other two today. They were very, very fast. In the first stint, you know, Chaz drove away from me um, and I thought he might come back to me a little bit. He did towards the end of the stint, but, um, yeah, then the middle stint really hurt us. So, you know, it's things we need to work on. And, yeah. and then we had a, bad, a funny pit stop that probably cost us five seconds, so yeah. I had to pass a few cars, but... Otherwise, mate, it was a fantastic day for us. It was a really good start to the year. It has felt pretty even between the two cars this weekend, but we know that this is such a unique circuit yeah. and a very very different to the Grand Prix. Are you still sort of going to hold out till we get to Albert Park to make any grand statements, statements. on where things are at? Um, yeah, I've still, I've got my, it's better. It's much, much better than I originally thought was going to happen. Obviously, the things they've done after the test was really good. But, you know, I'm going to reserve my statement for after Grand Prix because that's really when, like, it showed up last time. Well, it's just, you know, it's a, there's a, it's a really big aero track, you know, high speed, a lot of, like, straight lines. So it's going to be, I'm going to be watching the timesheets. <laughs> All right, let's take a look at what's happening around the world. Reigning MotoGP world champion Francesco Bagnaia topped the final preseason test of the season in Portugal. Uh, Scott McLaughlin led Will Power in IndyCar testing at Barber Motorsports Park in Alabama, and William Byron took an overtime win in the NASCAR Cup Series race in Phoenix. Okay, Castro mailbag time. Drew Connell Reese asks, "What was the issue with James Courtney's car not being repairable? Obviously, after the crash in the shootout on Sunday, Stefan. One of the key points of these Gen Three cars." With the bolt-on front and rear clips was meant to be improved repairability, but we had a chat with Tim Edwards as they were trying to fix that car on Sunday, and uh, he had a fairly interesting take on it. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't a good sign for the repairability of these cars that JC's car didn't make the race, and uh, Tickford have actually given that uh, mangled front clip to supercars to go away and analyse because they really do need to find out why that the new clip didn't line up properly. And if it is because the load went through to the center section of the chassis, then that's clearly not good. But th there's a lot that needs to line up there and they hadn't had a chance to pre-fit anything with that clip. You know, they'd only received it from Pace the day before. So all of this stuff is very yeah. new to everyone. And as Tim pointed out when we spoke to him, there were a few tweaks to wall thickness of tubing and things like that with Car of the Future as it went as well. So unfortunately, unless you can afford to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars crash testing cars beforehand, this uh, this is just how it is. It was very nice of Tickford to take on the crash test dummy uh, job on the weekend and mangle a few cars. Yeah, not once but twice, unfortunately. Yep. 
Absolutely. All righty, let's hand out some Castrol Stars of the Week. This week, my star is going to Erebus driver Will Brown, not for his work in the driver's seat, but for what he did on the other side of the car. At a charity breakfast on Thursday in Newcastle, he forked out something like 750 bucks, I think it was, in an auction to win a passenger ride with Cam Waters in the Tickford Mustang around the Newcastle circuit. Tickford saw the funny side of it and allowed the ride to go ahead, which was actually really cool. Uh, Will said afterwards he was actually quite scared. It felt a lot faster on that side of the car. But, yeah, it was a really good laugh and uh, worthy of a Castrol star as far as I'm concerned. Stefan, your Castrol star recipient? Yeah, that was a great story, Andrew. And, and my star of the week goes to Chaz Mostert for another little feel-good story from the weekend. Chaz's name mm-hmm. featured on the boot lid of Aaron Seaton's Super 2 car because uh, Chaz had signed up to a membership program that Aaron has started to raise funds for his racing. And there's a long history between Chaz and the Seton family, which included Glenn helping Chaz in his early Super 2 days. But for Chaz to see that membership program pop up online and just throw his $300 in, not wanting any publicity or anything like that, it was just a nice little behind-the-scenes Chaz that we saw there. That might be the most Stefan star of the week I've ever heard. That's a that's a beautiful. Well, your bloke put in seven fifty, didn't yeah. he? So it was. Uh, you may have trumped me even with this field. No, no, story. no. But I just feel like uh, I just feel like that was that's the sort of that's the sort of just yeah. That's just a very Stefan Bartholomew's choice. I like it. I like it. Anyway, uh, it's it's great, and I do remember Glenn telling me that when Chaz um, Chaz was in sort of the senior karting and Aaron was starting in in the younger levels, that that Chaz would just go around and talk to the younger guys and just just help them out, like not through any direct association, but just um, yeah, doing what he can to encourage the younger ones, even when Chaz was a teenager himself. So yeah, it speaks very strongly to his character. I Absolutely. Think. Well, that's it for this week. Remember to like, subscribe, and review our work wherever you listen to your podcast. And we'll be back next week with more Castrol Motorsport News. Hey, it's Chaz Mostert here. And yes, I'm inside your speaker. I'm in here because I have a special message for you from Clayton in Melbourne. If you're a club, state or national racer on the circuit or on the dirt in Speedway or rallying, you can now tap into the know-how of Walkinshaw Racing Services and you don't need a supercar to get in the door. The same expertise that's won multiple Bathurst 1000s and V8 Supercar Championships is now available for you to call upon. From bonnet to bumper, WRS can help you with engines, design, paint, machining, fabrication and so much more for all sorts of makes, models and categories. Have a chat with Walkinshaw Racing Services and tell them what matters to you. Call now on 1300 W Racing or email services at walkinshawracing.com.au.